man, is there going to be some loving going on tonight in the bedrooms of Madrid? El portugués con pierna derecha, el golpeo de Cristiano. ¡Qué golazo! ¡Golazo de Cristiano Ronaldo para el Real Madrid! Will you stop talking about tennis players and stupid Hollywood hackers, Phil? It's the gladiators out there, man, not tennis players. Hello, Ala Madrid, and welcome back to the Real Champs Podcast, Episode 6. This is the official podcast of Fansighted's Real Madrid blog, The Real Champs. Please check out the blog at therealchamps.com. Follow us on Twitter at TheRealChampsFS. Our authors are all Real Madrid fans who are hard at work producing tons of great content about Real Madrid. Uh, if you like the pod, please be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, leave us a rating and a review, uh, and give us a like or a follow on SoundCloud. My name is Alex McVeigh. You can find me on Twitter at McVeigh. I am joined today by... Hey guys, I'm Luis uh, Castillo. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Luis underscore 0224. Well, it's been a while since we talked. I think the last time we talked, Real Madrid had just won the Champions League. We were starting to see some of the transfers roll in. Uh, Real Madrid have had uh, a busy summer, but not the busiest summer that they uh, have ever had. We've offloaded some extra players in the form of James Rodriguez, uh, Mariano Diaz, and Alvaro Morata, and Fabio Coentrao. Um, we picked up some players in the form of Danny Ceballos and Marcos Rente. Uh, it's been an overall, an, an up and down transfer uh, season. We have not gotten some of the uh, people who we thought we might get, like Kylian Mbappe, uh, but we also weren't able to hold on to some of the people we maybe would have wanted to hold on to. I don't know, like Alvaro Morata. Uh, but we, you know, we've got just five days left in the transfer market as of the time of recording. It's not looking like we are going to make any more signings. Uh, so, how are you feeling, Luis? How are you feeling about our current status in the uh, transfer market? I honestly, I think we're fine. Um, I don't see why you need to have that killer signing that people think Madrid has to have. I know that was the policy back in the day. I know that was the galactical policy, even up to probably around 2014, which is uh, the last galactical we signed was Hamas. Um, I honestly, I I don't see anything wrong with our transfer policy right now. Um, like like you said, we signed uh, Theo Hernandez. Uh, great left back. We we've been lacking. Oh, I forgot about Teo. Yeah. 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 I mean, great left back. We we haven't had a good left back option in a while. I know Cohen Trow, um, is kind of hit or miss. Sometimes he's okay. He's good. He looks like he can you know fill in. Sometimes he looks terrible, <laughs> and we've talked about that. But um, we finally have a good backup for him. Um, when it comes to center backs, um, the whole market right now is is pretty terrible when it comes to center backs. Uh, all the good center backs that we're going to leave have left. I mean, Bonucci is at AC Milan. Um, so that's really one of the few center backs I can think of that Real Madrid would have probably gone after. Uh, but we got uh, Vallejo back. So uh, I, it looks to me like we have a pretty well-rounded team. We have some backups. I know Vallejo is injured right now, but um, at least it's not as bad as before where we had, you know, pretty much two, uh, three, four. No, we had... We had three solid center backs and uh, 
kind of a jack of all trades in Nacho. Uh, this year, you know, we have two left backs, we have two right backs, uh, four center backs. Our midfield is stacked. Um, if anything, where we might be lacking is um, forwards, but like I said, I wouldn't be too worried about it. Well, the forwards is an interesting question, and in fact, somebody on Twitter reached out to us, uh, the user uh, Mayal Madrid, a great, great username, uh, at Cruise Talk, asks, uh, why doesn't Madrid have a plan B as far as transfer target is concerned? Last season, it was Pogba or no one, this season, Mbappe or no one, and the same user asks a related question, why didn't Real go after a number nine after the failed Mbappe pursuit? Uh, didn't Zidane say Real needed another number nine? So you mentioned this, this sort of shortness at the striker position. Do you think we are covered here, or uh, are we... Uh, uh, are we are we playing it dangerous by not going back out onto the market? Uh, I think we'll be all right. Um, you know, it's not like we don't have any players that can score. Um, you have your regular forwards, you know, pretty much uh, your your nines and your wingers. You have Cristiano Ronaldo, you have Bale, you have Benzema. Uh, Mayoral came in, which I've been kind of doubting whether he's a solid backup or even remotely as solid as Morata was, but um, yeah, you have... Yeah, actually, uh, some someone on Twitter, uh, uh, at uh, Sedant Jane, reached out to us and asked, should we trust Mayoral as the backup striker or go for one in the market? So lots of people sort of concerned about this this front end of Real Madrid here online. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, I've, I've been a doubter. I, I don't think Mayoral is ready. I think he has potential. I think... Uh, he could be a solid striker, a backup striker, maybe even uh, one to play in, you know, in the first team. But we're talking pretty far down the line. But I mean, he scored <laughs> in the in the opening game of the season. I mean, in the in the Super Cup. That's my bad. Sorry. Um, so yeah, I mean, he scored there. He's looked all right. Um, he scored right now in the at the Santiago Bernabeu Trophy um, versus. Uh, Fiorentina um, so yeah I mean he, he looks like he might be good enough to hold that position but again uh, going back to the question of do we need another number 9 I don't think we do because um, Real Madrid is scoring a lot and when I say a lot I mean more than we've probably seen in the past 2-3 seasons um, they're, they're winning by 3-1 three, three to one versus Barcelona they won 2-0 uh, less than three days later, uh, three to one in the opener, you know, lots of goals. And I think that comes down to not just the forwards, but the team as a whole. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, midfielders, uh, you have Isco, uh, great goal scorer, you know, definitely is used to playing a role where he scores a lot. He was a secondary striker at Malaga. Um, you have Asensio again. He's listed as a midfielder officially by Real Madrid. But you and I both know that he's capable of scoring like a forward and he can play across pretty much the whole midfield and higher up. Um, but then you have midfielders like Tony Cross, right? So you have Tony Cross. Um, he, he's used to scoring maybe uh, two, three goals at most. Like, for example, his debut season, he had two goals in La Liga following season one. And then last season, he had three. It was the most he scored in La Liga since he joined Real Madrid right this season opening match he already scored right <laughs> so it's it's he's already one third of the way to his highest scoring um 
like the highest tally he's had in La Liga. And it's been one match. Uh, he looks a lot more dangerous. Uh, I'm sure it has to do with some tactical things on Zidane's part. There's Casemiro. Uh, same situation. Last season was the season that he scored the most goals in one season. Uh, in La Liga, he scored four. Again, scored in the opener. Uh, this is a defensive midfielder that we're talking about. And he's scored on the opening game of the season for Real Madrid. Uh, so you, pretty much everyone's contributing to the attack. So... I, I honestly don't think that how Real Madrid are playing right now, that they need a, another number nine or that they even need a, a Kylian Mbappe or a Dembele like Barcelona needed. Like they needed, Barcelona desperately needed a, a another forward. Real Madrid aren't really in that situation right now. Yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting. I'm glad that you mentioned some of those other midfielders who we don't normally think as the goal scorers on the team and maybe are usually the more assist oriented midfielders like Tony Cruz or somebody who's even generally a more de- uh, defensive midfielder like Casemiro but who can still score the goals. My my big question though about this and where I do start to see where some of these folks on Twitter are coming from is looking at the statistics, Hamas Rodriguez last year contributed to 16 goals that includes his goals and his assists last season across La Liga and the Champions League. Alvaro Morata contributed to 23 goals and uh, including goals and assists last season across La Liga and the Champions League. That's 39 goals that we have to make up in this team. Now, the, the place where I think we will begin to make up some of those goals just in terms of the sheer quantity is I believe you will start to see this be a uh, it's I guess it's kind of weird to talk about a breakout season, but the season that Isco and Asensio start putting up the kinds of numbers that seriously put them in the conversation for the Ballon d'Or. I'm not necessarily saying they can win it or anything next year, but the kind of 20-goal numbers that the top-class uh, attacking players in the world uh, are, are getting merely because they will start to see a bunch of those minutes that were previously being taken up by Alvaro Morata and James Rodriguez. Not having Alvaro Morata and James Rodriguez in the squad really gives an opportunity for uh, Isco to play a bigger role. I know there was a huge discussion last season, especially towards the beginning part of the season when uh, people were healthy, when especially when Gareth Bale was healthy, um, about Isco's role and the fact that Isco seemed to only be able to find his way onto the pitch when somebody else was uh, had you know had an injury. Now, obviously, Zidane has got a rotation policy that meant that everyone got some minutes, but Isco still wasn't sort of a main contributor in the way that I think he would like to be. Um, in really, sort of grabbing his career by the scruff of its neck and and you know really making a statement to say not just I am a great player, but I am one of the best players in the world. And Asensio too. We're starting to see Asensio score. Uh, you know, just banger goals uh, every opportunity that he gets that he gets um, and it's really great to see Asensio come in so I think and I hope that some of the goals that um, 
uh, or we're going to be missing from James Rodriguez and Alvaro Morata can be made up not just through those creative midfielders like Tony Cruz, the defensive midfielders like Casemiro, but also through uh, Isco and Asensio, who are kind of our more attacking-oriented midfielders who have always been there as part of the squad but haven't really quite put up the numbers in the same way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I totally agree with you. Um, I think this season you're going to see the goal counts a little bit more spread out um, not only due to the rotation policy, like you mentioned, but because everyone's kind of picking up that slack. Um, it's true. Uh, we don't have uh, those killer, you know, players like James Rodriguez and Morata. I mean, 23 goals for Morata from a bench position is is more goals than most strikers in La Liga. <laughs> and we're talking about a player that was on the bench. But it's kind of like a blessing in disguise because... Uh, now you have that, like you mentioned, you have the chance to see other players get that playing time. Uh, so yeah, I think we do have enough firepower. Uh, it's it's just going to come down to that goal count being more spread out. But you're going to see players that didn't get that many goals last season or before. Um, you're going to see them get all, more goals. I'm not saying more, 10 or more goals, but you're going to see them have twice as many goals as last season. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, of course, some of these players will get a chance to make their mark uh, immediately because, of course, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo uh, is still serving the tail end of his uh, ban for uh, pushing a referee at the end of the uh, or, or towards the end of the second or the uh, first leg of the Spanish Super Cup. Um, and we're also missing Sergio Ramos, who is serving a ban uh, from a red card uh, in the last uh, La Liga match. So what are your thoughts about these uh, these disciplinary actions that the Real Madrid players seem to be under right now? Uh, I'm going to say uh, one word, and that's going to be dumb. <laughs> it's really dumb decisions from Ronaldo and Ramos. Um Ronaldo, uh, there was no reason why you should have pushed that ref. I know that he was mad. Uh, it was clearly a penalty, but you never push a ref. Um, I mean, Messi got, uh, what was it? I think it was also five five games, right? Or three matches, something like that, just for speaking out against a ref. Um, you know, you push a ref, and I honestly think he got off easy with just five matches. And again, <laughs> I'm a Madridista, so... For me to say that is, is something. Same thing with Ramos. Uh, you're talking about um, 93rd minute, I think it was, that he elbowed the player on a jump. There was no reason for that. You're winning the match. They weren't going to come back. Um, it was just a dumb decision. And I think uh, it, they deserved those red cards. And not to mention the fact that Ramos could have been sent off earlier in the game when there was, I think there was some head, uh, there was like a, a little headbutt mm -hmm. from uh, one of the Depor players and then Ramos sort of smacked out and hit his face and had the referees seen that sort of initial action as bad as it was. And it wasn't like really like super violent, but there was obviously an intent to reach out and strike there. And it's just, you can't, you can't do that. And the problem is, this is not the first time. In fact, it's the 18th time Ramos has seen red for Real Madrid. He's set like a La Liga record now. It's mm -hmm. it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I, I don't really know what to say except just um, 
you take the good with the bad and the good is so good and you know we got so many points from Ramos headers late last season and we wouldn't have won the champ you know the decima without him and so it's kind of, he kind of gets a free pass from some things that if any other player did that in pretty much any other team they would they would just be ran out of the team basically uh, it's just you can't do that as a defender you can't you, you have to be able to control your emotions. And I think we talked about this on the last podcast, but Pepe was, uh, you know, really, really good about changing himself and, and about turning that reputation around and going from someone who would get brash red cards and just do ridiculous, violent stuff on the pitch. And he got a sports psychologist to help him out with those issues. You would think that Sergio Ramos could get somebody to help him <laughs> stop doing dumb things, but I, I don't know. It's Maybe it's just it's in his DNA. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, he should. <laughs> Yeah, but these are uh, these problems that Real Madrid are having are much uh, smaller than the issues that are currently going on at one of our biggest uh, rivals, uh, Barcelona. Uh, seem to be uh, in crisis. We haven't really gotten to sit down and break down the uh, Neymar transfer saga, which is old news at this point. But uh, it certainly has left uh, Barcelona uh, shaken and the club in you know a really uncertain. Uh, tumultuous period of its history. There are calls for uh, Barcelona's president, Bartomeu, to be sacked. Uh, many people, uh, many of the fans, want to see Bartomeu out. There are rumors that Lionel Messi is using his contract and stalling his contract negotiations in order to try to uh, leverage um, the firing of Barcelona's president. Um and so, you know, I just, I just want to know what's your, what's your take on the crisis at Barcelona? Is, is this crisis being overblown in the media, or is Barcelona really in trouble this year? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. I do think that the media does um, make these situations, you know, overblown, and it, yeah, it does get clicks. Uh, I get that, uh, but I do think there's some uh, legitimate questions that fans are asking right now and um we just spoke about real madrid not signing you know not having these huge signings but barcelona is like the extreme version of that um i think uh the team got complacent uh, and not just the team but the board um you know they were winning trophies they were dominating la liga and uh you know first at first you know they made the neymar signing and uh, luis suarez and that's about it they didn't have any other big signings uh they started signing players that you know, weren't up to the task. Uh, they, they made some bad investments. Uh, they started letting go of players. And I think they they expected that, you know, the same squad was going to carry the team. Uh, and, you know, people tend to forget, you know, these are human beings. They're not machines. And even machines break down, you know. You, you, have, a, you have a Ferrari, yeah. It, it's, a, it's a beautiful sports car and everything. But, you know, you could have problems down the line. And uh, I think that's one of the things that uh, is one of the biggest problems for Barcelona right now, which is that they're scrambling right now to try and, you know, make up for that time. And that's why you got you have bad investments. You have them buying uh, Usmane Dembele, who is a great player, but they had the chance to sign him for, I believe, nine million pounds last season. And they didn't. And they bought him for one hundred and forty five. Um, and that, of course, is adding, um, you know, incentives that weren't um, 
just for the transfer fee. Uh, they're saying that uh, in total, they could end up playing, uh, paying Dortmund uh, somewhere between 145 million pounds and 147 million, which is a big jump. We're talking about 130 million pounds more than they could have paid for him last season. So uh, that, you know, scrambling to get that uh, is, is what's causing the problem. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a real issue. But you know, they're they're at least making some strides uh, towards fixing those problems. And you know, we know that as of today, they have officially signed Usman Dembele, uh, who's a you know really fantastic player from Borussia Dortmund. Uh, do you think that Usman Dembele is going to be able to come in and fix the problems that are going on at Barcelona right now? Uh, I think it could help. I'm not going to say it's going to solve everything because there is um, a lot of issues, not only with the players, but with the tactics. Um, but I think it will help. You know, they they tried playing a 3-5-2 versus Real Madrid and that backfired. Uh, they tried to play a 4-3-3 uh, with De La Feo, And I think they're realizing that he's not, um, you know, starting 11 material, uh, kind of like the questions we have with Mayoral, I think that is their Mayoral. It's a player that, uh, you know, they want to succeed. It's clear that he does have potential, but he's just not at that starting 11 uh, position or level yet. And I think uh, Dembele will be, it can be that link that, that helps the, the attack going forward, but I don't think that's going to fix all their problems. Yeah, I think that's just uh, it, it's a really good point that the idea that Dembele can really adjust some of the uh, workload that Lionel Messi is having to do right now. That it seems like Barcelona's one of Barcelona's biggest problem right now is that Lionel Messi can do so many different things across the pitch, but when you try to have him do all of those things at one time, you just don't get the best out of him in any one particular thing. And Dembele really has the ability to connect the midfield to attack in such a way that it might free Lionel Messi up where he doesn't have to do all of that work by himself because you know, we saw what happened uh, in last year's second El Clasico. Um, Lionel Messi can put that team on his back and make that team run. But when he is sort of the only one on the pitch doing all of that work, then it, it really just the Barcelona machine sort of starts to break down. And all of the magic that you normally see from Lionel Messi is blunted because he's trying to just do too much. So I think Dembele really will uh, provide a good source of offense for them and really will maybe take some of that weight off of Lionel Messi's shoulders. Um, so uh, another question that I want to pose to you, do you think this year Atletico Madrid poses a bigger risk to Real Madrid's title defense than Barcelona? Uh, I think this could be their season. I think uh, Atletico Madrid, um, they're always dangerous. Um, you know, they've had the pretty much the same squad for for three seasons now um they're getting they're getting used to each other that chemistry is is growing um they have Griezmann wonderful forward um Diego Simeon um great manager tactically um you can't ask for a more defensive oriented team and and again all that experience is kind of adding up and every season they look they look a little bit better um I think this might be the year that they get um, to second place, maybe even give Real Madrid a run for their money. 
Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how they also prioritize their squad, um, given the importance of the Champions League and the fact that Atleti have been denied by Real Madrid in the Champions League uh, so much. Uh, you know, it, they've gotten so close so many times, but Real Madrid has just managed to get that. So for Atleti, I'm wondering whether or not their primary concern is going to be actually trying to take down the La Liga title when Barcelona is in a moment of weakness, or whether or not it will be trying to uh, finally get in and win that Champions League trophy that's been ever so elusive for them. Mm-hmm. It, it'll be interesting to see how they balance that. But um, they've gotten to a final twice in the past, uh, what is it, four years? Um, I think I think they can do it. Um, and another thing that I... That, I forgot is there's still a very real possibility that Diego Costa could be signed sometime in the winter transfer window. Um, that might be what what gives them that extra you know push, that extra um, attacking option that can maybe help them balance that. So that'll be an interesting thing to watch for. So the other exciting thing that we've got going on right now is, of course, the Champions League draw, which just took place. Uh, the stage is set. We've now got our matchup for the Champions League group stage. Uh, we're facing off against Borussia Dortmund from Germany, uh, Tottenham Hotspur from England, and APOEL from Cyprus. I'm not sure if it's APOEL or... I, I know it's an abbreviation, so APOEL or APOEL from Cyprus. Um, so uh, I've got a couple questions for you here, Luis. My, my first question is to you, is this the group of death? It's a it's a pretty tough group, but does this qual- count as the group of death? Uh, I think it uh, it comes down to two groups who might be able to get that. I do think Group H, which is Real Madrid's group, is one of those groups. The other one being Group C. I mean, you have Chelsea, Atletico Madrid, and Roma, all of them in Group C. So I think those are the two groups that... Uh, could duke it out for that title of Group of Death. But yeah, it's going to be tough for sure. So what about uh, Group D, uh, Juventus and Barcelona, that's also got Sporting and Olympiacos in there? That's a pretty tough group too, yeah? Yeah, that's, uh, it's a tough group. I still think Group C and Group H are um, a little farther up ahead the, the difficulty scale. Uh, group D, I mean... We're kind of expecting Juventus and Barcelona. They're the ones that are going to go through to the knockout rounds. Uh, Olympiacos, I don't see really getting out of that group. Uh, and Sporting, it's a it's a good team, but I just don't see any of the other teams um, having to fight it out to, to know who's going to get out of that group. Uh, when it comes to Group H and C, I mean, any of those top three like have have the talent to get out of the group stage. I mean, Chelsea, Atletico, and Roma for Group C. Uh, we don't know which two of those three are going to go out for sure. Same thing with Group H. Uh, I think Real Madrid, Dortmund, and Hotspur right now at the moment, um, either of those three could make it out of the group stage. And um, I, I, I don't think I could say with with 100% um, certainty that there's two of those teams that are going to actually leave that group. Yeah, absolutely. And that's sort of the interesting thing when you're talking about the group of death, because you've got a group like Group B with Bayern and PSG, or Group D with Juve and Barcelona, with those two sort of European super clubs, clubs that you would consider kind of in the top five or ten clubs in the 
in the world. Um, but those are the really the two big draws from that group. And like you were talking about in Group C, uh, that you, there's really a chance that a very good team will not get out of that group. Um, and the same thing with Group H. Real Madrid, Dortmund, and Tottenham Hotspur are, are all really quality teams. I think Real Madrid is obviously a step above the rest of those with their European pedigree and their success in re recent years. So I think Real Madrid shouldn't have a hard time getting out of that group, but somebody in that group is going to be disappointed. Um, somebody's set of fans who think that their team is good enough to get um, you know, into past the group stages of the Champions League is going to be disappointed. And I think that's sort of the thing that makes both Group C and Group H really tricky. Yeah, absolutely. So another question, uh, and I got uh, lit up on Twitter by uh, our uh, our friends over from at BVB Buzz, the uh, fan-sided uh, Borussia Dortmund team, for implying that I thought that uh, the Tottenham Hotspur was the tougher opponent uh, that Real Madrid had to face. Now this might just be my uh, you know sort of bias. I know in America, in the in the United States, we sort of have a very uh, British uh, EPL bias, or not bias, but it, it seems a focus at least that our media tends to focus on the EPL. Um, and I know, Tot you know, Tottenham Hotspur is one of the strongest teams in the EPL. Um, and to me, I just, uh, you know, I rate Harry Kane above Obama Yang. Um, you know, I rate Deli Ali uh, and Christian Eriksen uh, above, um, you know, players like Marco Royce. Um, Usman Dembele is on the way out. Um, and I love me some Christian Pulisic, but I just don't know if... Uh, um, Borussia Dortmund has the quality right now at their current manifestation um, to be as strong a team as Tottenham. But, um, you know, I really got some criticism on Twitter for uh, suggesting that in my review article. So so what do you think? Am I on to something or is uh, am I totally off here? Is Dortmund, the, who's the tougher team, Dortmund or Tottenham? Uh, I think any of them um, are good enough to make it out of the group stage. As far as which one is stronger, I'm actually going to have to disagree. I think uh, Dortmund have fared a little better in the Champions League than Hotspur have. Um, I think that for starters last season um, and, and the last UCL tournament, uh, Dortmund made it out and um, and they were unlucky not to get farther, in my opinion. Uh, it's a very strong team, a lot of pace. Um, they ha they've got one of the best Bundesliga strikers, Aubameyang. Um, if Marco Royce is fit, you know, He's also a very dangerous player. Um, yeah, and they and they got youngst youngsters. I mean, uh, they have one of the most uh, exciting prospects the U.S. has produced lately in Pulisic. So honestly, I think it's a stronger team. Yeah, I think that's something you really kind of have to weigh when you're uh, discussing this, is that as good as Tottenham Hotspur are right now, and I feel like they are one of the, you know, especially the sort of like pundits and analysts who look at the... Um, EPL really talk about the strengths of this Tottenham Hotspur team and everything that Mauricio Pochettino has done, but they really don't have the history in the Champions League that a club like Borussia Dortmund has. And I mean, you know, Real Madrid fans 
probably have a bit of a traumatic memory from Dortmund knocking us out of the Champions League, and we tried to stage that dramatic comeback after we got thrashed uh, four to one, uh, and it didn't work. And you know, even last season, Borussia Dortmund drew us twice. Um, they, you know, they we could not get a win against Borussia Dortmund in the group stage, um, and so Borussia Dortmund definitely has that Champions League pedigree. That uh, yeah, I can see a really strong argument. I think it's uh, I don't know. I think it's a debate to be had, but uh, um, I'm still I'm still sort of leaning towards Tottenham as the stronger side there. I just uh, you know for me, Christian Eriksen and Harry Kane are just such a you know that that's such a strong um, offensive attacking unit there that. Uh, for me, I, I sort of give the edge to Tottenham Hotspur, but they do have the problems with Wembley, um, and you know they have a really hard time winning at that uh, hallowed English ground. Um, it, you know, despite the fact that it has so much history, it almost seems like that history maybe eclipses Tottenham when they try to play there. It just doesn't have the same atmosphere as White Hart Lane, and so Tottenham's definitely going to have to deal with some stadium issues too. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Either way. Uh, uh, it, you can tell that this is really going to be a tough uh, Champions League group stage for, uh, you know, I think Madrid will be safe, but uh, they're definitely going to have to fight it out. Yeah, I like you said, I see arguments for both sides. I still hold that Dortmund is a little better than them, but um, yeah, both of them tough teams to have in your group and we'll have to see how we get away with it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we've got another question from Twitter here. Uh, Hanu11 at Isco on the Disco asks, should Asensio be given the starting spot or should Bale stay there at right wing? Uh, so what do you think? Moving forward, does Marco Asensio have what it takes to take that spot off of Bale uh, or should Bale stay there? Or is this, a, is this a false choice? Can they both be worked into the squad? I think they can both be worked into the squad. Um, Asensio. All right, walk me through that. What does what does that lineup look like when Bale and Asensio play together? Um, it's very simple. It's kind of like what you're seeing now. Asensio, um, at the moment, I mean, we obviously know he has the the talent to be a starting eleven player, but at the moment, he's working really well as a super sub, um, along with Lucas Vasquez, and um, you know, Zidane has been using them with uh, as super subs because uh, they're one very creative um uh they're very good at dribbling past defenses um but i think what gives them that edge is is the fact that they come on when the team is already tired when the opposing team is tired so you have bale and benzema or you know the bbc um when cristiano ronaldo is playing you know they're they're going at the defense the whole match um bale is you know isn't a slow player um cristiano ronaldo is going to be running <laughs> at that goal constantly he's going to be a constant goal threat and uh you know around the 60th minute Asensio and Vasquez come in and it's like okay you swapped out Cristiano Ronaldo and Bale for some players that might actually end up being faster with the ball than them um uh you know Asensio you know his runs uh we've seen them time and time again beautiful runs he, he can keep the ball he he can dribble past defenders and uh, they just worked so well together as super subs that I think that should be what um, they should be for the majority of the season, uh, at least this season. Maybe next season we'll, we'll, we can start having a debate about whether Asensio uh, should take one of the BBC spots um, for good. But for now, I think he's good as a super sub. 
Yeah, the one thing that I think is interesting about Asensio is, and we saw this a little bit uh, the last time he was given the starting spot, is that he did begin to slow down a little bit by the 60th minute. And I wonder how much of the magic that we see from Asensio on a, on a day-to-day basis, um, do, you know, so much of the times that we're seeing Asensio is when he's coming on in the 70th minute and chasing down a team that's already exhausted that's already been going against a Real Madrid team coming at them full tilt and having Asensio with his legs uh, on the pitch against tired players is an entirely different thing than Asensio trying to command the pitch over the course of 60 minutes. I think that um, against Deportivo, we got to see, uh, you know, Bale taking on sort of a different role than he usually does um, and really sort of playing more in that free-roaming attacking role. Uh, And I think Bale really needs the opportunity to get his confidence back, which is something that he's been lacking so much over the course of the past season. He just has not looked like the same old Gareth Bale, and you started to see it a little bit at the, uh, you know, towards the end of that Deportivo match, that Bale was actually starting to take those kinds of bombing shots from outside of the box that we hadn't seen in a while. Um, and it, to me, that shows the sign of his confidence growing back in him. It takes a while when you've had an injury to, especially a recurring injury like that, to really get that confidence, that physical confidence back in your legs. Um, and so I, I think we will begin to see Gareth Bale become the kind of player that he was, um, you know, when he made those impressive uh, runs, uh, for example, past uh, Barca, past <clears throat> Mark Bartra in the Copa del Rey against Barcelona, that iconic moment, or when he scored, you know, the header to put us up in the Champions League final. I think we'll, we will begin to see Bale the big game player. But that doesn't mean that Asensio won't get his opportunity to shine. As we talked about earlier, we have a ton of goals that were just shipped out of the squad uh, when it comes to James Rodriguez and Alvaro Morata. Someone has got to make those goals up. And so I really like this idea that Zidane um, is sort of beyond the idea of a permanent fixed starting 11 or an Once de Gala, that he he really is... um, you know, he has multiple different options that he can play. And sometimes one, you know, just because it's got the players that you maybe like, that doesn't necessarily mean that that is always going to be the starting 11 or that it's necessary. Even if it's something that works in a given situation, that doesn't mean that it's our strongest starting 11 for every single match. And Asensio and Bale are the kinds of players that gives it on a bunch of flexibility. <clears throat> Another really sort of interesting tidbit <clears throat> that we started to see during the preseason when Cristiano Ronaldo came back late is that you began to see Cristiano Ronaldo subbed on for Kareem Benzema um, and really starting to see the evolution of Cristiano Ronaldo into that striker role and I'm wondering whether or not uh, you don't begin to see more rotation between those two players. I know there's a lot of, you know, Ronaldo and Benzema uh, have this hailed partnership, and that's one of the reasons why Benzema is such a clutch player is because of what he facilitates Cristiano Ronaldo being able to do. Uh, but I wonder if you don't also start seeing Ronaldo playing more as an out-and-out striker, because I, I could see a world that 
uh, uh, facing off against Asensio on the left, Bale on the right, and Cristiano Ronaldo in the middle is a terrifying prospect for teams that are trying to defend against that. That could be an extremely potent counterattacking lineup for uh, Real Madrid. So I, I, I don't think that we should really sort of get hung up on some of these questions about, you know, is there always a 100% starting spot for Asensio over Bale or Bale over Asensio? Because depending on the situation, depending on who's fit, depending on who needs a break, we could see either one of them or both in any sort of given number of combinations. Absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head uh, at the end there. Um, it doesn't come down to talent. This team is stacked with talent. Um, it comes down to who Zidane wants to rotate, especially Zidane. Uh, he likes to rotate players, and it it doesn't necessarily mean that the best player will play or that the player that is in in the best form is going to play the full 90 minutes. Um, you know, they're both going to get time, and some matches Essential will start, some matches Bale will start, but um, with Zidane, I think both of them are going to get plenty of playing time, and I think that's the least of their worries, at least right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, one other thing that I noticed from the Deportivo match uh, that was something that is really uh, uh, distinct from the way we started out last season is that Kaylor Navas was in fine form in the Deportivo match. In the first 15 minutes or so, Kaylor Navas uh, was called into action, I think, three different times uh, as... Um, the strikers from Deportivo were uh, just cutting through our back line, and our back line was uh, became sort of characteristically unreliable for just you know just the first few fifteen minutes, and they they tightened up after that. But in those first fifteen minutes, Kaylor Navas was absolutely enormous. I think that he could maybe really make the difference. Um, in terms of having a much better start to our season than Real Madrid had last year, because last year he simply could not find form and and couldn't couldn't buy a clean sheet to save his life, basically. Yeah, I think um, it, it's not just him though. I think there was a lot of issues uh, with Real Madrid's defense as a whole. Um, there was a lot of mistakes uh, from well Ramos, you know, <laughs> the usual guy who. Who, use, who scores in big games and can have a great match, but also make some really dumb mistakes on the pitch as far as defending goes. Um, Varane was struggling for form a lot, and then when he finally uh, got into the swing of things, he got injured. Um, there was an injury crisis. Um, There's a lot of factors. Uh, I, I will agree that Navas um, not being in form was one of them, but um, I think people put a lot of blame on Navas, especially because... On paper, a keeper that can't seem to keep to keep a clean sheet is pretty bad. But uh, I think a lot of fans tend to confuse form and uh, and just the overall team's form, not just the player. Um, they they seem to confuse it for talent. And you know the same thing goes with the last question: Should Asensio be starting over Bale? Um, just because Bale went down in form, you know he 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 had a rough patch doesn't mean that he's not world class and you have a lot of fans including um on the writing team uh we we have <laughs> debates on this all the time uh when when we're chatting about it uh you know it, it's it's not that they're bad players or that Navas um isn't world class he's world class it's just he had a dip in form and and he seems to be back so i think that now that he's back in form uh this is the Kaylor Navas that um 
Uh, Perez signed. This is the novice that we saw in the 2014 World Cup. Um, he's a great keeper. Uh, good enough to be Real Madrid's uh, starting goalkeeper. He's not a short-term replacement for for Iker Casillas. And um, I think I think they made that clear when, when they didn't buy De Gea or they didn't buy uh, Donnarumma or anyone. Uh, I think... Real Madrid's stance on Keylor Navas is firm, and that's that he is going to be our starting goalkeeper, that he is good enough. And we saw that last match, and I think it's great that he's finally showing um, the haters, for lack of a better word, uh, that, that he's good enough to keep that spot. Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of the thing is, I, I like your comment there that oh, a lot of it is that the form of the team... Uh, sort of gets grafted onto the form of an individual player. And that's especially true for goalkeepers. And, you know, part of the problem last year was that, yes, our back line was shaky, but then our goalkeeper didn't bail us out. And so those mistakes sort of get compounded when it comes to the perception that gets uh, laid at the goalkeeper, you know, the blame that gets laid at the goalkeeper's feet. Um, and I think this time you see the inverse effect where we could have gone down and we could have been in trouble, but Kaylor Navas was the one who prevented us from doing that. And the other interesting thing when you compare it to last season was that it was precisely those kinds of goals that Kaylor Navas was having a real problem. Uh, the goals where you would get a single attacker breaking through on a counterattack and Kaylor Navas would find himself way out of position. Kaylor Navas was perfectly positioned for both of those saves on Andone. He got just the right amount out. He was able to get his body down low. He was able to put his legs in the way. And uh, for that one that he tried to get around him, he perfectly slapped the ball away and out to a defender. It was just the complete opposite of the kinds of mistakes that we're, we were seeing last year from Kayla Navas. And I really hope that he's going to be able to uh, continue with that great form moving moving forward. Um, and specifically moving forward, the upcoming match that we've got this weekend, coming up this Sunday, uh, is our La Liga fixture against Valencia. So Valencia has been sort of through an odd patch in the past couple of years. Uh, Peter Lim, the owner, has been lambasted by fans for his sort of overall incompetence in running the club. Uh, the, the sort of like most visible example of this was appointing Gary Neville as a coach, despite the fact that, uh, you know, despite his skills as an analyst, he didn't speak the Spanish language and had never coached a La Liga team before. Many people sort of thought that this was Peter Lim uh, sort of rewarding his friends and the people who were already within his business structure. Um, they finished 12th last season, uh, but Lim seems to have finally gotten a better grasp on these things and has appointed a new coach, uh, Marcelino, to take the helm this season. They seem to be off to a good start uh, with a 1-0 win over Las Palmas through a Simone Zaza goal. Um, Luis, what are your thoughts about this Valencia team? I think they're... Um... They're going to be dangerous. I think they're, they're, um, you know, kind of, kind of finding this uh, new form. Uh, a lot of the of how a team performs comes down to just tactics. I know that uh, we we love to talk about players with with a lot of talent, and Zaza is is a forward that is very talented at finding, at at finding that perfect angle to shoot the ball. 
But a lot of it comes down to the coach. I think that them finishing 12th, not only last season, um, but the season prior to that, they actually finished 12th exactly <laughs> same position and everything. Um, uh, it, it comes down to lacking experience as a manager. You, you had managers coming in that didn't have a lot of experience in La Liga. They weren't proven uh, in La Liga. And as we know, uh, play styles vary greatly from, from league to league, uh, from, from country to country. Um, the fact that they got Marcelino, uh, a coach that is experienced in La Liga, that has proven himself, I think uh, that that was a great move. It's a it it shows that uh, Lim is, you know, is actually looking to to make this team, uh, you know, better, <laughs> make it what it was in the 2014-15 season uh, again. And uh, yeah, Zaza is in form. Uh, he was unlucky uh, not to finish uh, the last match against Las Palmas with with without three goals i mean um a lot of a lot of those shots could have gone in had the keeper not been so good that match um he's gonna be dangerous he's punished us before um so yeah it's, i think it's gonna be a tough match um uh, it honestly it could go either way yeah and that's something i the the toughness of this match is really important to emphasize as uh, our newest staff writer um, Akanksha Sharma, and she'll have to let me know if I mispronounced her name there, but that's uh, at A-K-A-N-K-S-H-A Sharma uh, on Twitter reminds us uh, these uh, uh, Valencia were the team uh, who started the February, February uh, miniature crisis for Madrid last season when we lost to them uh, and then drew to Las Palmas and it looked like we were about to uh, throw away our La Liga title hopes. And I know that Valencia, just in general, uh, really always gets up for these matches against Real Madrid. They're um, always just super pumped to take on Real Madrid, and they, there's a lot of anti-Madridismo, I guess you could call it, uh, coursing through that fan base. And so they'll be willing to try, or, you know, really gearing to try to uh, embarrass Real Madrid if they can. Um, another interesting uh, thing about this Valencia squad, they actually just added Jeffrey Condogbia to their squad from Inter. You may remember him from his stellar performances for, for Sevilla in 2012-2013. Uh, he uh, had, went off to Monaco after that uh, and then Inter uh, and just moved from Inter back to La Liga to Valencia. And I know that he was, uh, you know, one of those talents that people were often linking with Real Madrid as a possible alternative to Casemiro as another sort of strong uh, mid uh, physical presence in the midfield. So it will be interesting to see i'm not sure yeah i know that move was sort of just completed i read about it four days ago so we'll be uh, uh, interested to see if he makes his debut for valencia against real madrid yeah uh, i think he could um you know they just signed two really good defensive minded players um it, it's gonna be tough to score on them and um yeah they're they're they they look reborn and like like you were saying um they're, they're acquiring talent. It, it just looks like everything's on the up and up for them. Uh, people tend to forget uh, Valencia is one of the biggest teams in La Liga. And I don't mean that as, in terms of uh, table position. I mean that overall. They're one of the teams with the biggest fan bases in Spain. Uh, they're one of the teams with the, with the biggest uh, budgets in Spain. And this could be um, the year that they not necessarily win it, but I do think them making it at least back into the top five uh on the table um i think it's possible and 
And I think this match is going to be a good indicator to how well they can do this season. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's hope they don't find their form uh, against Real Madrid. <laughs> and, you know, let's, let's, well, or at least let's hope that Real Madrid's form is good enough to uh, get the job done. So if you had to predict the scoreline against Valencia, what would you, what would you say? What's the, what's your, what, what scoreline are you thinking here? I'm going to go uh, with a high scoring um, scoreline. I'm going to say uh, three to two. I think uh, Real Madrid takes it three to two um, with a late goal from from a substitute. Okay, yeah, I, interesting. I was also going for a really high score line. I think it's going to be four to two in favor of Real Madrid. I can see that I happening. Think we're going to see. Uh, yeah, I think we're going to see a goal fest on Sunday. I, I just think Madrid's going to turn it on at the end. Yeah, I, I can see that happening. Um, that's always good for fans. It's not the the best scoreline tactically speaking because that means both teams um weren't good but usually the most entertaining matches are the ones that have defensive mistakes so uh if it's your scoreline it's going to be a very entertaining match yeah well i i hope that's the case because everyone likes goals right yeah. yeah cool all right well thanks everyone for joining us for episode six of the real champs podcast Please be sure to check us out at therealchamps.com. Follow us on Twitter at therealchampsfs. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a review. Follow us on SoundCloud and give us a like. If you've got questions for the next podcast, please be sure to reach out to us on Twitter. Uh, So, all right. All right. Catch you later, guys. Have a good one. Thanks for listening. And a la Madrid. some loving going on tonight in the bedrooms of Madrid. Llama el portugués con pierna derecha, el golpeo de Cristiano. ¡Qué golazo! ¡No! Hollywood hat as Phil. It's the gladiators out there, man. Not tennis players.